Why does God even allow Satan to exist? That's a pretty good question, right? I mean, Satan was the first rebel. He helped cause the fall. He has caused untold death, destruction, and mayhem for thousands of years. He's God's greatest enemy. He's no match for God. God once backhanded Satan out of heaven. Someday God's gonna kick Satan into the lake of fire for all eternity. So why wait? I mean, God could just snap his fingers and he could send the devil there right now. Why doesn't he? Why does Satan get to keep causing problems, meddling in our lives, tempting people into sin and into hell every single day that goes by? I find this to be weird, and I'd like to explore why God puts up with and makes us put up with Satan. So if that's a question you have as well, turn to 2 Samuel 24 and let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and today we're going to be talking, I already told you what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about why God allows Satan to exist. Maybe you've thought about this before, maybe you haven't. But this is a very important theological issue that you should have settled, not just for your own understanding, but because this is going to be a springboard to understanding a couple of other issues that we're going to tackle over the next few weeks in the book of Jude. So we're going to just get right into it today, but I'm warning you, the answer to the, the title question today, it's not coming in the next five minutes. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to listen all the way to the end to get the answer, because we have to first explore, first I have to set the stage here, okay? And we're going to look at this through a lens of 2 Samuel 24. This is the story of David taking a census of the people of Israel, and this was actually sinful, okay? God had declared in the Mosaic law that kings were not to take a census, and yet in 2 Samuel 24.1, it says, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. So David is going to number the people, he's going to take a census, and this is wrong. And yet, God said, God, it said, incited it. He incited David to do this thing that was wrong. And if you read the whole chapter, you find that God sends a punishment for doing this. And yet the first verse in the chapter tells us God wanted it to happen all along. This is strange, right? I mean, this just doesn't sound like something God would do. Except it says that this is exactly what God did. To make this issue even more confusing, there is a parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 21. A parallel passage in the Bible, that's, um, that's where two different stories or two different places in the Bible are telling the same story. Uh, it's kind of like the four Gospels. You know, you see the same stories being told again and again through kind of different perspectives. And sometimes you have to reconcile a few things and try to put it all together. And so that's, what, that's what's going on here. 1 Chronicles 21 is a parallel passage to 2 Samuel 24. 1 Chronicle 21.1 states this, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Whoa! <laughs> wow! One of the passages, these are parallel passages, one of them says that God incited David to take the census, and then the other one says that Satan did. Now, right there, that's a contradiction if you ever saw one, right? I mean, how could it, how could it not be? And, and listen, 
This is not going to be a podcast that's all about resolving contradictions, um, but I am going to do that this time because this contradiction, it's, it's particularly weird. One says God incited David to take a census. The parallel passage in 1 Chronicles says that Satan did it. I mean, how much more opposite can you get? Okay, so we need to resolve this. Well, first, let's talk about some of the historical context of this story. Okay, let me reread how 2 Samuel 24 opens. It says, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now, let's stop there. Why would God be angry with the Israelites? Well, the past several chapters of 2 Samuel up to this point have mostly been about rebellions against the king. There was the rebellion of Absalom, and that Absalom took up a big section of the book. And then afterwards, there was a second rebellion. Most people don't know about this one, but they had the rebellion of Sheba. And so again and again, many Israelites banded together and tried to overthrow the king. And God had divinely ordained and anointed David to be the king. Despite that, the people kept trying to kill David and replace him. And so God's not too happy with the Israelites by this point in the story. Uh, And going into the chapter, it says, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. So he told them, or David decided to number them, and that's to take a a census. That's what that means. Verse two, so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of the people. And when it says from Dan to Beersheba, that means from the north to the south. It just means everybody. Okay, it just means everybody. It's like if we were talking about America, we'd say from Maine to California. It means from one end to the other, every single person. I'm not trying to exclude Alaska and Hawaii, but I'm just saying, if you get my point here, that's what Dan to Beersheba means. It means from one end of Israel to the other, number all the people. This actually goes against the Mosaic law. I forgot to look up where, but God had said in the Mosaic law, he does not want the kings to take a census because he knows if the kings are doing that regularly, they're going to trust in their numbers rather than trusting in him. And he didn't want them doing that. So verse three, but Joab said to the king, may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord, the king still see it. But why does my Lord, the king delight in this thing? Joab's kind of an interesting guy. He's usually a bit of a scoundrel, but right here, he's actually being the voice of reason. He's trying to talk David out of it. He's like, hey, hey, David, you don't have to do this. Verse four, but the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So Joab goes out and does it. Okay, I'm going to skip a few verses down. As soon as the census is completed, that's when it all hits David. He shouldn't have done it. He gets conscience stricken. Okay, he realizes he did wrong. We're going to look at verse 10. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Man, I can, I can connect with David on that. Like, that's how sin is so many times. Oftentimes, you got this voice in your head and the voice, you know, it's the, the voice of reason or the Holy Spirit, you know, good at, to eat your conscience, as it said right here. And sometimes you just try to silence it and you don't listen to it. And then if you finally go and do it, you know, you finally commit the sin then you feel bad. You know, you should be just kind of kind of quieting, tampering down the voice before, but then you then you're, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have looked at that. I, I shouldn't have bought that. Whatever it is, you know, then it all hits you afterwards. And it's kind of like sending an email. <laughs> you know, I always do my best proofreading 
after I sent the email. It's like, you know, my brain's telling me proofread it, proofread it, proofread it. And yet, you know, I'm just like, I'm at work or whatever. I'm trying to get stuff done. I just want to get on to the next thing. I just send the email. And then, you know, after I send it, then I'm like, well, I wonder what I just sent. And I go over to the sent folder and see what I told the person. It's dumb. Okay. <laughs> then you hit the, it's too late by then. That's just how sin is sometimes, you know, until, until you actually do it, you just kind of keep rationalizing it and then you do it and all the regret hits you. And that's, that's basically what happens for David right here. And so he, but he immediately prays, he immediately asks God's forgiveness. And, and so that's, that's good, of course. And then something kind of interesting happens. Then David gets to pick his punishment. Verse 11, and I'll just keep reading. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider... And decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. So David's given three options for how he is going to be punished. And this is this is just a really unique story. You know, God doesn't usually give someone a choice. And, and this is a rough choice right here. You know, he's got a choice of three years of famine, three months of your enemies fighting you, or three days of plague and sickness. And so David considers this, and he says in verse 15, he says, Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. And so in saying that, he's, he's saying, let us have the plague. Because David, in his mind, he's thinking, if I pick the famine, then I'm basically at the mercy of like mother nature or natural causes, you know? And so he says, if I pick, if I pick the warfare, I'm at the mercy of a bloodthirsty enemy. But if I pick the plague, the plague would come straight from God and I would rather be at the mercy of God than be at the mercy of anything else. And, and that's, I guess that's kind of a wise thought, um, I suppose. I mean, I would, I would probably try to make the argument that God is sovereign over all those spheres, but, um, and we're, we'll talk about that later today, I think. But, but regardless, God is actually pleased with David's answer right here. And so verse 15 and 16, it says, So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel of the Lord stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. So David picks the plague, and like I said, or like it said there, 70,000 people die. And um, that's not quite the end of the story, but that's, that's all we're going to cover for today. Uh, because by now you're probably wondering... Like, Luke, you've gotten so off track. You know, why am I spending so much time on this story about David and a census? You know, the title of the podcast today, it's Why Does God Allow Satan to Exist? Well, guys, buckle your seatbelts. You're about <laughs> to find out. Uh, this is a story that always used to make me really mad or confused. You know, I would just, I would read it. I would think, this is so unfair. I was like, you know, David is the one who sinned. But 70,000 people died, and that just doesn't seem right to me. You know, and I would ask God about that, because I don't think God makes mistakes. I mean, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure God was paying as much attention to the story as I was, and I noticed as I was reading it, David was the one who sinned, not the Israelites. 
So why did they have to pay for what David did? And, and guys, listen, I encourage you. When you don't understand something that God is doing in the Bible, ask God to help you understand it. Uh, I've done that so many times, and I can't, I've lost count. He's always leading me to the right answer. Somehow I always come across the right answer eventually. In this case, it took years, but I finally did come to understand what is going on right here in this story. So it seemed really unfair. Like I said, 70,000 innocent people, they're just going about their day, just living their lives, and God is wiping them out right here just to teach David a lesson. You know, I thought, that's, that's kind of extreme. I mean, I, I know David's an important guy and all. It just, it seemed really, really unfair to those 70,000 people. But wait a minute. There were like a lot of moving parts in this story. Let's back up to verse one again. Let's read that one more time. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. So we kind of focused on David and his actions after that, you know, throughout the whole story. But all the way back in verse one, it told us who this was really about. Who was God angry with? The Israelites. It said the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. God wasn't mad at David. He was mad at the people. And why? I already told you why. It's because they had kept rebelling against their king. Who ends up being punished in this story? The Israelites. God was mad at the Israelites. God kills 70,000 Israelites. And sure, he taught David a lesson along the way as well. But this wasn't really a story about David. This was a story about God being mad at the Israelites and the way in which God punished the Israelites. David was just a tool that God used. David was just a cog in the machine. Once you understand that, once you go back and reread verse 1, suddenly it all gets a lot clearer. This, this was not a story of 70,000 innocent people getting punished out of the blue because of someone else's sin. God was actually punishing them for their own sin. And, and God used kind of a complicated scenario. You know, you, with David and all this stuff going on, he used a kind of a complicated story to bring it all about. But God was using David. And there's one more complication, okay? One more wrinkle to this whole thing. We touched on it at the beginning. First Chronicles 21. In that parallel passage, you know, it's pretty similar to 2 Samuel 24's version, except for that pesky opening line. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now that throws a monkey wrench into this whole thing, okay? <laughs> like, what, 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 is, where, what is that? How does that fit into all this, okay? It actually all fits together. God didn't directly incite David to sin. God used Satan to do it. God used David, and God used Satan. Now, I'm not sure how that came about. I mean, maybe God just said to Satan, hey, do you want to go get a bunch of Israelites killed? And maybe Satan was like, oh, sure, I hate those guys. And God said, okay, well, I'm going to allow you to do this. And then Satan went and did it, and he incited David to number the people and bring about all the stuff that happened after that. God was mad at the Israelites for that double rebellion that they had in such a short amount of time. God wanted to punish them. That was God's ultimate goal. That was his greater purpose. And God was willing and able to use this whole complicated story of letting Satan incite David, who sinned, so he had to pick a punishment. But conveniently, 
David's punishment only hurt the people that God wanted to hurt from the get-go. It's, it's actually pretty amazing. It's pretty astonishing when you consider the sovereignty of God and how God is able to, to work all things to his purposes. Um, but I admit, okay, this is a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're not convinced yet. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, is this story like, is this just an outlier? Is this just an exception? Or is God using Satan? Is that an idea that presents itself in other places of scripture? Well, I will show you before we go today. This is how God works all through the Bible. And, and this is going to answer the question for us today of why God allows Satan to exist. Let me take a short break and then I will answer those questions. Next time on this podcast, we're going to get back into Jude, and we're going to start covering the next few verses. Do you remember that story about Satan getting into a fight with an angel named Michael, and they were fighting over the body of Moses? Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> so that's why we're going to dive into it in the next episode. So make sure that you're subscribed so that you can get it. And while we're at it, what weird stuff in the Bible do you want to know more about? Send me an email, weirdstuffinthebible at gmail.com. I've got a lot of mailbags to respond to, but this is this episode is going to probably run a little bit longer than normal today. I'm kind of squeezed for time, so um, I'm going to pass on the mailbag this time, but I've, I will do one next time, okay? We're just going to keep rolling for today. So, why does God keep Satan around? The answer to that question is that Satan is a useful tool. For one thing, God shows in 2 Samuel 24, he can use the devil to accomplish his purposes. He, he can say, I'll let Satan tempt you over here because it helps me accomplish something else that I want to do over there. Now, that's kind of a hard thing to hear. That, that's a hard thing to accept. Um, I know it's going to challenge some of your theology. But our theology, it needs to be based first and foremost on the Bible. And we have to let our Bible say what it says. And the Bible says that God uses Satan. For one thing, Satan provides mankind a choice, and God wants us to have a choice. God wants us to have the ability to choose whether we're going to follow him or not. Why is there sin in this world? Well, we could blame Adam, and Adam could probably blame Eve, and Eve can blame the serpent, and the serpent would probably blame God. I mean, if you try to find a cause for like any problem in the world or any problem in your life, you could eventually trace it back to God and, and to what God allows. And, and you know what? I can't always explain why God allows bad stuff to happen. But at the end of the day, God does. And God lets Satan loose sometimes because it serves a greater purpose. I mean, look at the story of Job. I don't have to recite it all for you, but the sons of God, you know, they go to present themselves to God in chapter one. And these sons of God, it's these, it's these spiritual beings. We talked about them on an earlier episode of the podcast. And this is going on up in heaven. They're having a council meeting and, and Satan walks in. Oh, screw it. I'm just going to read I'm just going to find it here and read it for you. Um, it, I, I don't want you to think I'm pulling the wool over your eyes or something. I'll just let you hear it straight from the Bible. So Job 1 verses 6 through 8. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? 
Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? So let's just stop right there. So God brings Job up. They weren't even talking about Job. God's just like, hey, Satan, Job's doing pretty good. You know, and all you're roaming around and ruining lives, you ever thought about messing with Job? Man, that's kind of shocking to hear, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure you know what happens next. Satan goes and he's given permission from God to go and ruin everything in Job's life. To take his kids, his wealth, his health. Job is miserable. I, I, so some people say that the book of Job, that it's about why bad things happen to good people. About why the righteous suffer. No one in it. If that's what it's supposed to be about, then, then it fails. Because it never answers that question. I mean, Job lost it all. And Satan's role in Job's life was to provide Job with a choice. And Job made the right one. Satan's role in Eve's life was to provide a choice. And she made the wrong one. Satan exists to provide us a choice. Who are you going to follow? That's why God allows Satan to exist. You say, but yeah, but it seems weird that God is actively using Satan. I mean, why would God use an evil spirit? Why would God want to? Why would Satan submit to it? You know, but it happens all the time. In episode three of this podcast, and that one was about the divine council, we read this story about a different meeting that was going on in heaven. First Kings 22, starting at verse 19. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. So it said right there, a lying spirit volunteered to be used by God to get Ahab killed. And God was like, yeah, I want Ahab killed, so, so go and do it. I mean, did you hear that, guys? A lying spirit. Um, I don't know if I read these verses before on the podcast, but 1 Samuel 16, 14, it said, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. A harmful spirit from the Lord. The, the King Jimmy version of that, it says an evil spirit. Let me ask you a question. Can God send harmful spirits? Can God send lying spirits? Does your theology have room for that idea? Well, it better, because if not, your theology is wrong. Theology needs to come from the Bible. It's right there in 1 Kings 22, 1 Samuel 16. God can use them. God can use Satan. And if you don't like that, don't worry, <laughs> you're not alone. I don't much like it either. Um, I, I do kind of like how deep God's sovereignty goes. I'm not a Calvinist, but like God's sovereignty, it, it goes way further than I used to think. And, uh, and I also got to remember, and I hope you remember this too, it's not my job to judge God. It's not my job. It's not your job. God is God. I know my place. Uh, I'm going to trust God. Uh, even when it seems hard for me to accept what he's doing, even when it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, especially when it doesn't make sense. If we only trusted God when it made sense to us, 
we wouldn't be trusting God. We'd just be agreeing with him. And that's not what he asks for us to do. He asks for us to trust him. Job never saw the answer to why he suffered, but he saw God. And that was good enough for him. That was enough to resolve all his issues with fairness and life and loss and suffering. And his first words after he saw God were, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Guys, God uses Satan. There is nothing that the devil can do in your life that God didn't allow to happen. And I don't understand it all myself either, but someday I'm going to see God like Job did, and I'm sure I'll have a similar reaction. All those questions, they're just going to melt away. And uh, I hope I've answered some questions for you today. Um, I know I probably gave you some answers and 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 perhaps some more questions that you didn't have whenever you walked into this. This is probably not the kind of stuff that you were thinking was in the Bible when you walked out of Sunday school last weekend. What's going on behind the spiritual scenes? It's probably a lot stranger than you realized before. But just remember, the Bible's not weird. We are weird. Because we don't know about how God could use even Satan to accomplish his divine purposes. But now we do. And that is hopefully a comfort because if God can use Satan, God can probably use you as well. If God has a purpose for Satan, God has a purpose for you and me. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end. And we'll see you next time.